Father, it is so good to come into your presence in this combined way on this sort of day when we put aside everything else and just draw together as people who together love you and whose lives have been transformed by you. So good, Lord, to get together with other people who believe what we believe and together to listen to your word and to sing your praise. So, Lord, we ask that you will speak to us, nourish us from your word, and help us to live our lives in the company of your spirit day by day, bringing glory to your name. Amen. We're in Genesis 18, if you want to turn to it. Genesis 18. The last time I was here, you'll remember we looked at Genesis 12 and uh, the passage where God promised that he was going to bless Abraham and make him a blessing to the world. Well, he said that five times in Genesis, so here's the second time in Genesis 18. Last time we were looking at catch the vision of what God is doing in the world and join in. If you want a heading for tonight, for this morning, you can have the heading, join in and take your part. We read from Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried to the entrance to his tent to meet them, and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed at her, to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. 
Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. Here it is. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, for the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. So God has told Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. But how is that going to work? How is that going to work out in practice? Well, the subsequent chapters, of course, give us a good deal of information about how that's going to work. Was Abraham going to be a channel of blessing like a drain pipe? The blessing coming in the top and out the bottom and he simply being like a plastic conduit that has no connection to the blessing? Is that, it's, is that all it's going to be? Does he have an active role? What's the role going to be if that's the case? Well, this story gives us some clues as it picks up a second time God's promise that through him all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And, and here's the first one. It's a lovely chapter and um, we've been singing, I, I guess, in the sense, the context of the first half of the chapter. Here's Abraham, and I do love this, having a siesta in the cool of the day. Don't you like that? I think we ought to embrace it as English people wholeheartedly and have a siesta in the middle of the day. What do you think? What do you think? I think it's a good idea. The Europeans have got it right for once. Have a siesta. Sorry, John, your farming will have to go for Burton a little bit, but there you go. Have a siesta in the middle of the day. That's what he is. 
All this, my friends, arises out of the fact that Abraham is resting. Now there's a thought to conjure with. It's not Abraham is busy, busy, busy doing things. He's actually resting. And the whole story comes because Abraham is resting. So I hope your days include not only work, but rest. Six days you shall work, and that's a godly thing to do. Work is not a drudge. Work is a gift from God. But so is rest. So is rest. I think it was during the Second World War that they tried to institute eight-day working and found they got less work out of people when they worked eight days than when they worked six and gave them a day off. Interesting that, isn't it? So he's resting in the heat of the day. And who should happen by but God? On his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And since he's in the area, he thought he'd call in on his friend. Well, you do, don't you? That's exactly the story. God is happening by on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah and since Abraham is nearby, he calls in. Well, you would, wouldn't you? He's your friend. Abraham is called the friend of God. And God likes to spend time with his friends for nothing more than having a meal. This is not one of those meetings that is loaded with agendas that God is just cracking to get on with. You know, good morning, how are you? And you know they're just waiting for the opportunity to, to get into the real reason they're talking to you about. Well, that may be the case, but if it's done in a very leisurely way, Abraham and God like hanging out together in today's current terminology. They like spending time together, just having a meal together. So Abraham sees these three. There's a hint of the Trinity here. If you look a little closely... I don't want to push that one too far, but there's a little hint of the Trinity. Three, one, one, three. But anyway, it looks like it's two angels and the Lord. Interesting little scenario, but they're coming by, and Abraham goes out to embrace them, as he would do, hospitality, because he's resting, and he's therefore able to spot God nearby, because he's not so busy about his work, not so focused on something that he would miss God walking by. If he did, he wouldn't be the first and he wouldn't be the last. But he's resting. And resting in a way that allows him to take stock of things and have a good look. Hope your days enjoy that opportunity. And uh, what does Abraham invite him to do? Well, he says, call in, come here, let me wash your feet. A standard Eastern thing to do. And I'll lay on a meal for you. And that's precisely what he does. Now this isn't a meal that you pull open your freezer, take it out, rip the top off, pop it in the microwave, bing, two minutes later and the meal's there. This requires making bread. How long does that take, ladies? And this requires going to find a calf, choose it, kill it, skin it, cook it. That's a few minutes, isn't it? I would say probably a few hours. But not being a cook, I'll defer to you if you can correct me. So this is very leisurely. What are they doing while all this is happening? Sitting together talking. We're not told what they're talking about, but they're just enjoying this moment together. This is not a rushed meal. This is leisurely. So that's why when in the Bible people fast, that was for significant times and it allowed them loads of time to spend with God. It didn't save them 2.3 minutes, which was a normal lunchtime break. 
They saved hours. And they just hang out together. And since they're together and since they're talking, God wants to remind Abraham of what he promised him, that he's going to give him a son. He hasn't forgotten his promise. It was first given 25 years ago. Well, 24 years ago, because this is a year before it's going to happen. And he's going to be 100 years old when it happens. And Abraham could well be forgiven for thinking it's gone past the deadline and it's never going to happen, but it is. And God reassures his servant that it's going to happen. Sarah thinks it's too funny for words, laughs her head off. And God says, why does she laugh? And she lies. Don't you do that when you're embarrassed? I said, you did laugh and I'm going to do what I said. Then the story moves on. So you have this lovely leisurely time together. My friends, some of the time you spend with God... Don't think about doing things or sorting things out or straightening things out. Just enjoy spending time with God. Some of you have got more time on your hands than you wish you had. Others have got far less time on your hands than you wish you had. But whichever way round, we've got to learn to appreciate the presence of God, either in those acres of time when we wish we had something we could do, Or in those times when we are so busy we don't know how we're going to fit it all in. To enjoy the presence of God. But they have got an agenda and they're on the way to Sodom. So having had their meal and their siesta together and chatted together and reaffirmed this promise, they head off towards Sodom. Well, the two angels start on their way. But anyway, the Lord sort of has one of these wonderful moments when the curtain of heaven, as it were, draws back and we get an idea of what's going on in God's mind. Because he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's on his way to Sodom and he thinks, this is my friend. I want to tell him what I'm going to do. So he says, in verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. What's he got to do with Abraham? God's on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to polish them off. The next chapter will tell them that. So what's he got to do with Abraham? Why is God telling Abraham? It's a bit of a weight, isn't it? Do you remember Noah was given this kind of same thing too? Why did God tell Abraham what he's going to do? Is he boasting that I can wipe out? No, I don't think God ever boasts like that, does he? Or brags? That would be to misrepresent God. So why is he telling him? Well, here's one of those wonderful things that we can get very nervous about. God is a vulnerable God. If you want proof of that, the incarnation is it writ large, isn't it? God is a vulnerable God. And God, although he has his agenda running... He has determined to run this world in partnership with us, believe it or not. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and goes right the way through the whole of the Bible. Whether you or I like it or not, whether we think it's the best way of running the world or not, it's what God seems to want to do. Having made the world, he gave it to Adam and Eve and said, look after it for me. Because they didn't. And God has this wonderful plan of salvation now and he's called Abraham into partnership. Catch the vision and join in, I said last time. Well, we've really got a genuine part to play. Now, it's a partnership of very unequal partners, of course. 
we are creatures and God is the creator. He is limitless. We are very limited. He knows everything. We know virtually nothing. But nonetheless, it's real partnership. So God says to his partner, through whom he's going to bless the world, I better tell him what I'm doing. So he's in on it. Do you ever find God confiding in you, as the psalmist says? Because that's what you do with your friends, don't you? Confide. Jesus did loads of confiding with his disciples, didn't he? telling them about this and telling them about that and sharing his heart and explaining what's going to go on. This is not God sort of just giving information like memoranda, you know, get on with that. But this is God actually sharing his heart with us, telling us what he's about in the world because he wants us to respond. So in verse 22, the men turn away, the angels turn away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. You can read that, apparently. The Lord remained standing before Abraham. And perhaps the second is the better version. The Lord stood before Abraham waiting. It's almost as if God has said, Abraham, I'm on my way to Sodom. And if it's as bad as I think it is, I'm going to destroy it. Dot, dot, dot. Over to you. It's almost like God is looking him in the eye and saying, what are you going to do now? You see, because God doesn't have to come down to Sodom to work out how, if it's as bad as he, know, he thought it is. Because he knows everything, doesn't he? He does not need to come and check it out. He has the information. He knows exactly how bad it is. So this is either God play-acting a charade well, there's something very interesting going on here. God has taken time out to come down himself and pass by Abraham and tell him what he's about to do because he wants Abraham to respond. God could have sent a thunderbolt from heaven, no one else involved, and Sodom would be a thing of the past, wouldn't it? But he's chosen another way. Because he wants to hear what Abraham thinks about what God is going to do. He wants to know what Abraham's heart is. This is his partner. Now, what's God's heart in all this? Well, we learned that last time. God's heart is to bless. So what is he doing coming down to wipe Sodom out? That doesn't sound like blessing to me. I don't know what it sounds like to you. But it's because their sin is so great. But God is wanting to look for somebody. Is there anybody who will speak up for Sodom? Is there anybody who will speak up for Hurstman Zoo? And we say, yes, Lord. We will speak up for Hurstman Zoo. Good, says God. That's why you're here. Is there anyone who's going to speak up for Sodom, Abraham? Yes, look at this. Abraham approaches God, having heard, you know who lives in Sodom, don't you? Lot, his nephew. So not only does, does Abraham have a heart of compassion towards people, but he's got a vested interest in this. His neighbour Lot isn't much of a guy, by the way, although he's called a righteous man later on. He's given Abraham a bit of jip up to now, hasn't he? A bit of a difficult sort of nephew. But anyway, there's a connection here. And Abraham's just processed it. And he goes and stands before God. Listen, this is the God of all the earth. In human form, it's what the theologians call a theophany, and Abraham's standing. Now what's Abraham going to say? Oh well, Lord Master, 
Go and do as you wish and worship him. No, he doesn't. He goes and stands him, looks him in the eye and says this. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I can't believe my ears. This is outrageous. You're going to treat the righteous and the wicked alike? As if they were both the same? You can't do that. The judge of all the earth? You're the judge of all the earth. Won't you do right? You cannot do that. What if there's only 50 people, righteous people? Will you wipe away the city? And he dares to take God on. And does God on say, how dare you speak to me like that? How dare you? And wipe him out? No, he doesn't. God says, okay, I'll go with that if I find 50. I won't destroy them. And stays standing in front of him and doesn't move because he's waiting. And Abraham steps up and says, what about 45? And God says, for 45 I won't. And stays there waiting for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10. This is Middle Eastern marketplace bargaining. That's what it is. Abraham is bargaining with God. And God bargains back. Is this the God you know? Because God wants to change his mind. That's the point. He wants Abraham to stand in and intercede. He wants Abraham to say, no, Lord, don't. Give him another chance. He gives up at ten. One writer says, did Abraham quit asking before God quit giving? Would God have saved Sodom if Abraham had said, what if one? Would one be enough? The feeling is you get, God would have said, for one I will do it. But he didn't keep going. He petered out. God chooses to let Abraham change his mind. And Abraham challenges God on the basis of God's character. Notice. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What will people think of you? What will it look like if you do this? They'll think you're a, just a despotic local God. And God listens and responds with compassion and kindness. And Lot is saved by the intercession of his uncle. His life is spared and that of his family, other than his wife, of course, because of his uncle, because of someone saying, don't, Lord, don't, don't. I guess as Christians here, living in Hurstman Zoo and its environs, we have a mixed prayer. Because we say with the, with the Christians from the first century, come, Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait for the Lord to come. But at the same moment, almost we say, yeah, but not too early, Lord, because there are still more to be saved. Hold off, Lord, even more. And we have this real dilemma. And if we are to believe the scriptures here, I think God does say, is there anyone speaking up on behalf of Hurstman Zoo? What would be the worst thing that could happen to Hurstman Zoo? i tell you what the worst thing could be. All the Christians were to move out. That would be the worst thing that could happen, wouldn't it? When there's nobody speaking up for Hurstman Zoo. Ichthus Christian Fellowship, who will be coming to Ashburnham Place in the summer for their summer camp, started because their leaders were concerned that Christians were moving out of South London, out into the edges, and leaving the heart of the London below the Thames empty of Christians. They said, we can't do that. 
Who will speak up for South London? Who will speak up for New Cross? Who will speak up for Black Heath? And they deliberately planted a church back in 1979, I think it was. A church that's still thriving. And I guess that story is duplicated in many places. Worldwide Mission Tribe, Manchester, same principle. Who will speak up for Manchester? People are saying, we will. You're here to speak up for Hurstman too, to pre- plead with God on behalf of Hurstman, to say, Lord, give us more time. Give us more time, Lord, to preach to these folk that they may come in and be saved. Because we know one day, one day it's going to be too late who will speak up. God wants us to change his mind. So when he, I say join in and take part, we have a genuine part to play in the purposes of God. Though we are unequal partners, a genuine part to play. God chooses to bring blessing to the world through people like you. Not despite you. Not despite you. But through you living godly lives. And we could tell one another stories all morning and all afternoon about the things we know where God's people have got involved in something and the situation has changed. That's exactly what's happening here. As God shares his heart with his friend and says, this is what I plan to do. And we say, no, don't, don't, don't. Give us more time, please. For the sake of your son, give us more time. In a moment we're going to share communion. Which is wonderfully appropriate now because we say, yes, yes, Charles, that's okay, but when we go out, how are we going to do that? Well, we do so in the strength that God gives us. This is real bread. This is real drink. Jesus says, feed on me. Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do anything. So, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, says God. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. That's our continuing theme. God wants to bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's descendants, the people of faith like you and me. God still wants to bring blessing to the people you know and genuinely wants you to be involved in that. He will share his heart with you if you're ready to listen. He will show you what he's going to do if you're listening carefully and will want to get you involved, really involved, to contribute to his work of blessing. So Father, as we turn in a moment to share bread and wine together in the simple way to remember the death of Jesus, your son. We know that by doing so that you give to us through him everything we need, fulfilling every promise, your great and precious promises to us, so, so that we may live lives, live lives in the power of your spirit, to the glory of your name, Help us, Lord, then, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.